Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, unlocking the power of Thinkorswim, the award-winning trading platforms loaded with features that let you dive deeper into the market. Visualize your trades in a new light on Thinkorswim Desktop with robust charting and analysis tools, all while you uncover new opportunities with up-to-the-minute market news and insights. Thinkorswim is available on desktop, web, and mobile to meet you where you are. It's built by the trading obsessed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Let's get over to Dan Ives right now. Wedbush Securities, he's a managing director there and a senior equity analyst. And a bowl, um, I guess, Dan, for, for you, this must be the perfect time to go in and buy, uh, right? We had a big drop on Friday, big drop today. Um, are, are, is, there, is there ever a point at which you're going to say, you know what, this uh, is over for now, and let's make Tesla, Apple, Microsoft all neutrals until, mm-hmm. um, until the crash is over? Yeah, look, if the fundamentals dictate a change and shift in terms of cloud, cybersecurity, electric vehicle spending, like we've done with many names, then you turn cautious. But it's like me and you have talked about you know, for, for years, we're in the first, second inning of what I view as a fourth industrial revolution. So I don't throw in the towel because of a macro and, and rates going higher. I view it as just a painful digestion period, but not the end of what I view as tech stocks in the long term moving higher. Dan, here's what I don't understand. You're seeing tech have the sensitivity to rates, have the sensitivity to simply risk off moves. The heavyweights lead the S&P 500 to records. They also lead the sell off. And you can see that um, really in any of these red days that we see. But I'm curious if the likes of Apple, Microsoft, Tesla, essentially boast this ability to have very strong supply chains that weather a lot of these issues that other companies are having, then where's the problem? Why are these stocks selling off so much? Look, I think you're seeing everyone head for the elevator at the same time. Risk off, scary headlines, rates moving higher, inflation. So you're seeing the risk off trade all at the same time. And that's why I like tech stocks are oversold relative to growth that I've seen in the last six years. And, and you can't paint a Netflix, a Zoom, a Facebook slash Meta with the same brush 
as a Apple, Microsoft, cybersecurity, and cloud. And it just speaks to like, that's why this is the most important earnings season probably in the last seven, eight years in terms of proving that the quote unquote massive slowdown off of a cliff is not happening across the board. And that's sort of our thesis here in terms of as we go through what's really a key week for tech. By the way, you don't cover Twitter that I know of. At least I can't see a rating on Twitter. Um, what do you think about the possibility of Elon Musk coming in and purchasing this company? Look, we talked. It's a game of high stakes poker, and bottom line is, the board was looking at the altar, waiting for a white knight, a second bidder. They never came. Then Musk details his financing. It's not antics. At that point. Clock struck 12. Board had to go to the negotiation table, and that's why it looks like a deal is going to happen. And, and it just look as a public company, fiduciary, I mean, they ultimately thought that a second bidder would come. And you know, I think in the street's eyes, very skeptical at first, but now, you know, really it was like a glad path to get the deal done. Dan, speaking of Twitter, and I know it's not your coverage universe, but stick with me here. One of the questions around Twitter when Jack Dorsey was in charge was when he also created Square, uh, now known as Block, I believe. And one of the concerns from a lot of investors was it would essentially split his attention. He can't give one enough uh, of, of, of his leadership. And that's perhaps why he, he moved from Twitter to Square, now known as Block. You do cover Tesla. Is that a risk when it comes to Tesla? I think it's a perceived risk, and, and it, it is a real risk relative to how uh, it does must dive in deep into the pool with Twitter in terms of is he a chairman? Because we believe that would be more the role. He's not going to be CEO. We'll have others that would ultimately, as a private company, really try to transform Twitter. But I think it does take attention at a time that we're really going through just such an important time for Tesla in terms of EV, the shift among consumers. You have the Gigafactory build out in Berlin, Austin. You have some of the issues clearly in China, which is the hearts and lungs of the Tesla story. And that's why, along with perception, he'll have to sell Tesla shares is why the stock down. Look, as a Tesla holder, your dream is not for Musk to buy Twitter. Mm -hmm. It's a negative. And I think that's why you see that reaction. Because, again, the eyes of many, you're trading in caviar for a pretzel on Broadway. <laughs> it's uh, a descriptive. Yeah. And I, now I'm hungry. I, I so. like it. But if he stays chairman, I understand. And, you know, we've obviously seen him do a couple of different jobs with uh, much greater success arguably greater than Jack Dorsey, yeah. right? SpaceX and Twitter at the same time. Dan, great to have you on. Thanks so much for joining us. Dan Ives there, Managing Director, Senior Equity Analyst at Wedbush Securities. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, bringing you an expanding library of education with even more ways to sharpen your trading skills. Access new online courses, insightful webcasts, articles, engaging videos, and more, all curated just for traders. Plus, guided learning paths with content designed to fit your unique interests. No sifting to find exactly what you need so you can spend your time learning to trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. 
To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Andy Marsh, Plug Power. Speaking of, CEO and president of Plug Power, but it's not, it doesn't do what you think it does. Andy, I bet you a million people think that you, um, you're all about EV technology, but you're really about hydrogen and fuel cell technology, right? Tell us, or, or outline for us the difference. Well, I think the major, hi, hi, Matt, great being here. <laughs> I think the major difference, Matt, is, and I would separate is it's BEVs, and BEVs run on batteries, or as the Corvette, uh, as a hybrid unit with uh, batteries, and uh, or, and a fuel cell runs on uh, hydrogen. And plug power with our recent deal with Walmart, it's going to be generating 20 tons of green hydrogen to, for them, and a uh, you know a kilogram is a thousand tons as one ton, and that's about 33 kilowatt hours of electricity. So. Uh, we generate hydrogen. We provide the fuel cells, which make vehicles run, like uh, last-mile vehicles and Class A trucks. Yeah, that's another important difference, right? You're not um, you're not going to be well. Who knows what happens and when Corvette comes out fully electric? But for now, you're not powering Corvettes. You're powering what forklifts or trucks that get things. Not the eighteen wheelers, but the the final destination trucks. Right. With our JV with Renault, which is called IVEA, we plan to, over the next four or five years, deploy over 100,000 vehicles. And they will run on fuel cells. They will be powered by fuel cells and batteries. They'll be hybrid. And that vehicle be, will, be provided, will be powered by green hydrogen, which is generated by plug power. Uh, we're building out 500 tons of capacity here in the United States as well as in Europe with our partner Axiona, which is the largest provider of renewable electricity, which will be used to create green hydrogen. So you mentioned your deal with Walmart. I'm curious who's coming next. Huh, great question. You know, I, if you look at our chart of uh, customers, it includes people like Amazon, Home Depot, and others, I would expect that uh, like any company, we leverage our present relationships to build out our business with new products. And today, uh, I would think they're probably uh, the prime candidates to who comes next. If you have Amazon and Walmart, I mean, who else is there? That's You've got the whole market tied up. Costco, maybe? Why, uh, Andy, why, you know, the stock has been, in, a, in one sense, Beloved, a darling, the company, I'll say. Um, I remember when Matt Winkler put you guys in an op-ed about the importance of what you do. And on the on the other hand, um, it's been a tough run for the stock, for shareholders. Over the last year, you've come down, you know, 20% over the uh, from the high. You, you're down about half. Why do you think, or what's the market getting wrong? Well, I think that one item I think that's really critical, Matt, is that we have a very strong balance sheet 
We have over $4 billion of cash in the bank to build our plan. We won't be going to the market. I think then you take on top of that that there's three advantages to hydrogen. One is that uh, the world is committed to reducing their CO2 footprint, and the folks at Bloomberg believe hydrogen will be 20% of it. The second item is that uh, you know, we're creating jobs. I've been sitting here with McKinsey today reviewing the job creation that Plug Power and us in the hydrogen industry will, will produce. It's going to be significant. And I think the third item is that hydrogen and fuel cells are critical to national security. We're a substitute for natural gas. I think that it, the market opportunities are large. You know, we can survive this short-term dip in the stock price because the prospects long-term are extremely positive, and we have the balance sheet to support it. Balance sheet to support it. Talk to us a little bit about your cash, your debt, one of the big, I think, rescuers maybe for lack of a better term when it comes to stock prices right now is the amount of cushion the amount of liquidity a company has talk to us about yours yeah at the moment we have over four billion dollars of cash i foresee no need in the midterm uh to have to be going to the market at all for cash and when i talk midterm i'm talking three to four years uh all right so a very interesting setup there um is hydrogen power fuel cell going to be used for electric Corvettes eventually? Does it go beyond, I mean, not the Corvette specifically, but Andy, you get my, my, my meaning. Does it yep. go beyond the last mile vehicles that you currently power? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, Plug spent a lot of time looking at Class 8 vehicles. And just to give you a feel, you know, Walmart has about 10,000 Class 8 vehicles uh, moving to a hydrogen power Class 8 vehicles. We've reduced their carbon output by 223 tons per year per truck. That's a big number it's to help them reach their goal of one gigaton per year of reduction. So, yes, we'll be there. Andy, thanks so much for joining us. Andy Marsh there is the CEO and president of Plug Power. And uh, as we have been discussing, they deal with hydrogen and fuel cell technology. They put, yes. for example, um, uh, the power into lift trucks for Walmart and for Amazon and for a number of other uh, big companies. So um, Plug Power, the ticker is PLUG, and right now it's trading at 21 dollars and 90 cents on the nasdaq now let's talk china i mean this is the driver between everything we've seen uh happen today in equity markets the fallout in commodities with oil down five percent um even the uh fixed income markets i mean on friday we were talking about which economist could predict more rate rises from the Fed, right? Yeah. I mean, Nomura said 50 basis points now and then 75, 75. Everyone else was saying 50, 50, 50, 50. Um, it was like a contest. And now investors are clamoring to buy 10-year debt. I mean, if you think the Fed's going to raise rates that much, do you yeah. want to buy today's paper? Um, I guess you do if you are 
looking at what's coming out of China. Only if you're freaked out about the possibility <laughs> that Xi Jinping is going to stick to his COVID zero policy, the economy be damned. Damien Sassauer joins us now from Bloomberg Intelligence. Is that what we're looking at, Damien? Well, look, I mean, it's very difficult to kind of think about where U.S. Treasury yields are going. I mean, I I, I don't put any stock in where anyone is saying uh, the dollar or treasuries are going to go from here. But look, I mean, if you just look at where we are relative to only a few months ago, I could not model a scenario in which you were going to get a positive total return out of U.S. fixed income. I just couldn't do it. But today, given where yields are, it's definitely a lot more plausible. And so, look, if you're looking for safe havens in a world in which there are none, Matt, um, U.S. <laughs> Treasury's the long end of the curve is starting to look a little bit appealing. I'm very curious about the mobility data yeah. coming out of China. This is something that I think a lot of uh, Chinese strategists or China strategists like yourself um, are, are looking at. But what I don't understand is that if you have this mobility data that is really just a function of COVID lockdowns, what is the read through into exports for China? Because that seems to be the ripple effect for the rest of the world. Well, I mean, you're hitting right on the screws. I mean, I'm pretty, I mean, if you want to talk about export data, this is the real reason the yuan has come off. It's because of the move in the Japanese yen, right? I mean, we saw the Japanese yen has gotten absolutely crushed this month. Yeah. And what that does is it makes Japanese exports that, that much more attractive relative to Asian peers like South Korea, like China. And certainly our friends in Beijing uh, took stock of this. And look, I mean, 23 big figure move on dollar yuan just this month. I mean, that is a very, very big move. And this is an economy where they have made it a, an absolute mandate to keep the volatility of dollar yuan to to a minimum. And look, they're, they're, they're basically repricing it. They're basically re-rating it. And look, this is nothing new for China watchers. It's nothing new for emerging market investors. This happens once every, what, three to five years. Yep. And, you know, on the back of it, you see something like uh, China high yield debt basically lose 50% of its value, which we have, or the equity market lose 25% of its value year to date. Look, you have to you have to weather that storm. This is just the way it is when you're investing in China. But look, if you are looking at the technicals, and I hate to look at technicals and, and use that as a, as a as a sort of a written with which to invest, I mean, you look at margin lending. It's 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 at a very low level. If you look at um, if you look at liquidity levels, you know, I mean, they they're, they're they're starting to improve. So you know, you're starting to see you know some people kind of bottom feeding into Chinese equities. But for me. You know, the risk is just not there. I mean, despite the light investor positioning, I mean, there's just so much risk behind it. And given what's going on here with the ADR listings in the U.S. and the fact that many of them may get, you know, pushed out to Hong Kong, it's just not a recipe for success. At the Damien, moment. I read uh, in a Bloomberg story a, a couple of hours ago that in Shanghai, uh, workers in hazmat suits... <laughs> Fanning out over the weekend to install steel fences around buildings with positive COVID cases. Well, what's, what's the imagery to me is shocking. But my question is, how does the PBOC react? You know, how does the um, fiscal stimulus piece uh, come and sort of balance that on the teeter-totter of COVID zero versus economic growth. Well, China's been very successful with the total social financing and injecting fiscal stimulus into the economy and doing it in the right way. But you're absolutely right. This economy, I mean, investors have been waiting, waiting for Godot, I guess, waiting for the PBOC to come in and start cutting rates. And for me, you know, what they have not been able to achieve is, you know, to really get in front of the curve, to really show that the monetary support is sufficient to offset the GDP decline. So what are we calling for? 
as we were calling for last year, we're calling for more triple R cuts. I think we're calling for something on the order of 75 bips of cuts this year. We're also calling for another 30 bips of cuts to the medium term lending, medium term lending facility. This is all good, but certainly it just doesn't look like it's going to be enough. And if you just look at the reserves in China, 3.1, 3.2 trillion, it's, they've got tons of cushion there. One would think that they'd, they'd rather not dip into that in order to supplement the economy, that they'd rather you know engage in monetary uh, easing in order to do it. But look, the verdict is still out. Right now, you've got China-U.S. yield differentials inverted. You should not see that. It's something we rarely see. It's obviously being driven by U.S. Treasury yields on one hand. But you know, rest assured, you know, the dollar yuan cross rate follows that very, very closely. Do you think closely. that bounces back, by the way? I, 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 I do. I absolutely do. I think if— Because if, right now, basically, the idea is you can get more buying U.S. 10-year treasuries than you can buying 10-year debt in China. I think, I think that China's hand is being forced here by the market. I think they're going to have to slash rates in order to protect their economy. I mean, look, you know, it's a very different economy, right? And so, you know, uh, it, it remains to be seen. But if you just look at all the telltale signs, you look at the onshore-offshore China yuan— basis. We're at 300 bips. That's like a two and a, two and a half standard deviation move or something like that. If you look at one month, 25 delta risk reversals on dollar yuan, I mean, they are screaming of dollar call buying. You know, you've got Cinepec, you've got PetroChina, you know, they're big energy uh, exporters, all uh, purchasing protection against the rising dollar. So, you know, the concern is there. And I think Beijing's finally getting the getting the hint, hopefully. Damien, thanks so much for joining us. Damien Sassauer there from Bloomberg Intelligence. By the way, dropping a pop culture reference, you can't do that with Critty. Uh, she's only oh 25. My gosh. What, have you seen Waiting for Godot? <laughs> I know, but. You have to read <laughs> that in class? She hasn't seen Armageddon, and she hasn't seen Waiting for Godot. Have you seen so, Dazed and Confused? Dazed no. and Confused? No, you're from Texas. <laughs> oh my, that has nothing to do with it. You know what? I've seen Top Gun, and that's all that matters. Goodbye. Fair point, fair point. Damien, thanks so much for joining us. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, giving you even more specialized support than ever before. Like access to the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders ready to tackle anything from the most complex trading questions to a simple strategy gut check. Need assistance? No problem. Get 24-7 professional answers and live help and access support by phone, email, and in-platform chat. That's how Schwab is here for you, to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We have so much to talk about with Shanali Basic. I was thinking about you this weekend because, well, I read your story, The Mooch, which I loved. And then the Plotkin saga continues. Yeah. Unbelievable. If, if you don't know, Gabe Plotkin is the, I guess he is considered like genius hedge fund manager who ran Melvin Capital and got destroyed by Wall Street bets and the kind of uh, brovesters on Reddit. And now he came out with the – he had the gall last week to come out and say, you know what? I'm going to start charging my investors more. Yeah. Is that right, basically? So he was going to reboot his fund, and now he's going back to the drawing board. He apologized. He said he got well, it Well, we wrong. hear the phrase reboot a lot, but yeah. all I was reading was 2 and 20. 
right? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You can't just reboot by pretending everything else didn't happen in the past. <laughs> that That is, if I had to draw this down to one line, it's that. And the reason I wanted to kind of draw these stories together is that actually Anthony Scaramucci's firm, Skybridge, was an investor in Melvin Capital. So, well, yeah, Really? That's cool. So, yeah, well, that's the thing. These companies are very intertwined and when it comes to Gabe Plotkin he's the next generation of fund managers right it's him it's Dan Sundime it's all of these younger stars that are hitting their first big sets of issues and if you look at Gabe Plotkin he got caught up last year in that reddit saga and the short squeeze then this year in the market drawdowns a lot of pain among him and his peers by the way I take back the term bro vesters that was not fair there are a lot of good bros in the world and I don't mean to, to to smear their good name with uh, the likes of Wall Street bets. Oh my god! Well, the here's the problem. But he, the mooch fits. The, I mean, that guy's a bro, right? <laughs> well, here's the thing. I mean, there's some bros involved. Yes, of course. But however, a lot of these are you know privy fund, funds that are privy to big institutional investors that are very unbro like, and in fact, don't love the bro behavior so it is definitely like this idea that you know I'll even read from our story Sussex Partners selects hedge funds on behalf of clients big institutional investors he's they told Bloomberg that resetting high watermarks at new higher levels it ain't going to cut it right so you can't just start over here after after some bad performance. It's, it's not hard for me to believe that Scaramucci and Melvin are in bed together I was shocked that when I first heard, I think a couple weeks ago, that Salt was going to go down to the Bahamas yep. and hang out with my boy, Sam Bankman-Fried, these two people don't seem like peas in a pod, <laughs> right? Anthony well, Scaramucci, who mm-hmm. uh, worked for Donald Trump yes. for 11 days. He was too Trump to stay with the Trump administration. He's getting together or the opposite, with actually. Super genius yeah. with this incredible, like MIT, I have so Stanford much to Law, say. Sam Bankman Freed, and by the way, liberal Biden donor. <laughs> They He's both. hanging out with the mooch. Yeah, this is interesting. I think that that's, you know, because Anthony Scaramucci had spent some time in the Trump White House, there's this conception that he is, you know, Trumpy, I guess. But the thing is, now, in addition to setting up this new conference, you know, we know Sam Bankman-Fried is a huge Democratic donor and a huge donor to politics. We know that Anthony Scaramucci actually is part of a pact that's actually donating um, money or contributing money to both Democrats and Republicans. I guess they all they all pay off politicians on both sides of the aisle. The right? idea here yeah. that they have is to uh, really contribute to especially Democratic politicians who are pro-crypto. They think it's going to be a single issue vote into the midterms, into the next set of elections. So, you know, yes, they have their pack that's on the side. But in addition to that, this week, they were going to have a thousand people. Now it's closer to 2000 people heading down to the Bahamas in order to talk about crypto, pump up the crypto industry and really get more people excited about crypto as Skybridge, by the way, he told me, Anthony told me that Skybridge has really been gaining from cryptocurrencies as some of these other hedge funds don't do as well. They bought Bitcoin at $18,500. So they're well up better than fire. Are you going to, to fight what? To To the Bahamas. Bahamas. (laughs) Not to fire. That already happened. Are you going? No. Why are you not going? So my theory is because I'm going to Milken next week. And so that there's a lot of conferences going on. You've got to wonder how long this goes on for. Remember, people are still worried about COVID. I'm checking to see if I need a COVID test. Which people are still worried about COVID? 
investors, anybody that's public. meeting up in large groups yeah. uh, right now, a lot of people are. And by the way, have you guys tried to get an Uber in New York? It's like 70 bucks to get 40 blocks. Yeah. So it is, you know, hard to get around because people are meeting in mass. And, you know, next week it's time to do that little COVID check to see how many people went to these conferences. All right, so you're going to Milken. You, Critty, you just went to this oil conference that I loved you at. What was that? I did a month ago, Sarah Week. Sarah Week. What's your next conference? Uh, TBD. The powers that be have not told me. Ah. Uh, I'll be. But do we not have anyone going to the Bahamas? I I don't think so. Don't so. so. No. You know, but you know, frankly, like, here's the thing. I might this is this is how Twitter people communicate of course through Twitter messages and so my my Twitter message inbox is chock full of everyone who's in the Bahamas so I do feel like I'm getting maybe, the vibe maybe I'll go I'll be at not the tan you should go you maybe have a crypto show to tomorrow the Bahamas. yeah uh and what when does this conference kick off tomorrow oh so maybe Perfect. I'll just fly in after your show my show um if anybody out there is listening with a private jet and you're on your way Feeling a little generous. Sam Bankman <laughs> What is it? Are we are we gonna hit a crypto winter here? I mean, we're off what we were off another three percent this morning. You know, it's a great Bitcoin. question. There's a lot of questions about uh, the Luna project and the buying of cryptocurrencies. There's a lot of questions around what is the next leg. You know, what's gonna push crypto actually higher? There was so much adoption last year. People are really excited about the Lightning Network. We're talking to Jack Mallers later today of Strike. That's a big form. You know, if, if I told you that payments volume surpassed Visa on the Bitcoin network last year, you don't see it in the price today. And True. so let's but see actually, how that starts to I, I just You just reminded me about um, what I loved about your interview with Scaramucci is he points out that he was in a meeting like forever ago yeah. in Washington, D.C. with somebody from Treasury mm-hmm. who was like, we should think about doing the digital dollar. And he was like, how? And they said, put it on the blockchain. And he was like, oh. Yep. Oh. That's it was how like it all began. A wake-up call for him. And I thought that was just a brilliant um, little uh, blurb from that from that story. So I recommend uh, you all always read Shanali's reporting. Do you have a newsletter? I do. Every Friday. Every 30, Friday. 30,000 readers. And how do we subscribe to that? You can subscribe on the terminal. And mm-hmm. you can also subscribe on my LinkedIn. And you can just email me. I'll put you on the letter. All right. Very cool stuff. Many, many options. Very, very cool. All right. Shanali Bassett covers Wall Street for us. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, 
on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.